everybody. Welcome to the Extra Point. I'm Raven X, and alongside me, as always, is Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka the man who just celebrated his birthday a few days ago. How does it feel, old man? Oh, it feels good. Just relaxing, just chilling, watching college football. It's been a good birthday celebration. It's good to hear, because you know what? Memphis plays tonight. My LSU Tigers play tonight, and then we are just a few days away from the start of the NFL season. It is quite literally the most wonderful time of the year. And we got a wonderful show for you guys today. We are going to talk some of the biggest NFL injuries ahead of the start of the season, which teams are in trouble, which ones will survive, as well as, of course, we're going to finish up our division breakdowns looking at the AFC and NFC West. With regards to the NBA, of course, we are going to play our normal game of believable or buffoonery. And then we're going to talk some congratulations to two Memphis Grizzlies legends. But before we get to any of that, please be sure to check out the xreport.net. I repeat, the xreport.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly and fellow xreport writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel entitled The X Report. Without further ado, let's go ahead and kick this off with some congratulations. I know I mentioned some Memphis Grizzlies getting their jerseys retired, but we have a New York Giant who it was announced this week his jersey would be retired, and that is Hall of Famer Michael Strahan. Uh, won a Super Bowl with the New York Giants, set the single-season record for having sacks in a year. So congratulations to Michael Strahan. Were you a Michael Strahan fan when he was playing? Yeah, I like – I rock with Michael Strahan. I was especially happy when his New York Giants defeated Tom Brady and it was in the Patriots. So I always have a small bit of fandom for Mr. Yep, um, me too, because like when I first started playing Madden, like when I was younger, two of my favorite teams to use were the Giants and I liked using the Chargers. So be and playing with them, that also helped me get to learn the team. And of course when they beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl, I was real hype about that. So yeah, congratulations to Michael Strahan, had a hell of a career. Another player with a hell of a career but does not get talked about enough, that is defensive lineman, five-time Pro Bowler Jarrell Casey, spent his first nine years of his career with the Titans and was an absolute beast. He officially announced his retirement early this week. Congratulations to him. And honestly, back in the day, he was one of my favorite defensive linemen. He just never got the credit he really deserved. Because, I mean, like you mentioned, while it wasn't – there were some years where the Tennessee Titans were just kind of there. Some players who definitely, like, were worth the recognition. There was Chad um, – oh, my gosh. Chris Johnson. My bad. Chris Johnson, Chris Johnson of course, CJ2K. 
Jarrell Casey was another one. And I'll even throw in Cortland Finnegan because there were some years when he was a top 10 corner. And then Andre Johnson beat him up and that kind of ended all that. But I love that fight so much. All right, but let's keep it in the AFC South. Starting off uh, our rendition of did they play themselves with Urban Meyer. As we all know, NFL teams were making their final roster cuts this past week. And Urban Meyer talked about the criteria for the cuts and said this. Everyone was considered. That was part of the consideration, such as production. Let's start talking about this. And also, is he vaccinated or not? Can I say that was a decision maker? It was certainly in consideration. So did Urban Meyer play himself by admitting that he would be willing to cut a player if they were not vaccinated? I think he did to an extent because we all know that there are that's the thing that's been very touchy over the course of this past couple of honestly year and a half, two years span. Um I also have heard stories of, you know, I listened to Bustin' with the Boys, the podcast, the title of the one and Will Compton of the Titans. And they were talking about Will Compton, he's a free agent right now. And they were saying that when teams call to inquire about getting to work out with them, the first the first question they ask is, Are you vaccinated or not? And if you aren't one of the guys on the team, Dan Bates, he also played for the Titans at the time he wasn't vaxxed. When he said no, they immediately said like, "Yeah, we're not going. We're not going to schedule the workout anymore. You're school. So I definitely think it's a real thing. I don't necessarily know if you're playing. I can say you're playing yourself that you could be considered like discrimination in a sense. But it's also the reality of like you want to have the safest environment for everyone involved, including your players. So it's a mix. To me, it's a mixed bag. Like I think he could create issues. I would have. I think he played himself by saying it out loud. Right. Like if it was a if it was a foregone known conclusion in the organization and inside the organization, it's fine. It, but once it got made public, that's when he messed himself off. Yeah, I agree. I think that in situations like that, like every team is going to be sensitive to a vaccination status more so than any other reason. But they want to play. Like, it trumps personal views. Like, if they want to play and they want to win. And so it's one of those things where it kind of has that attachment of, if you want to play, you got to get vaccinated. So I don't think that he necessarily made the worst move by having it as a consideration because you want to have your team be safe and have the chance to play as many games as you possibly can. But in, on the other hand, like you mentioned, like saying it out loud is where people are going to draw the line and they're going to get upset. All right, let's go ahead and move on to the Pittsburgh Steelers and cornerback Joe Hayden. Now, Joe Hayden approached the team about potentially getting a, a contract extension this offseason, but it seems that talks have stalled. So instead of continuing to pry, um, according to his agent, Joe Hayden has decided to play out his contract and test the free agent market in 2022 when the cap is expected to increase significantly. So, did Joe Hayden play himself by ending co- contract negotiations, or is he making the right move, betting on himself? These situations are incredibly hard to gauge as they are early in the making. We've had situations where people have, played, have decided to bet on themselves, and they came out looking very um, smart, i.e., I'm trying to think of football terms. I know a couple in basketball, 
players who like um okay I got you uh DeAndre Hopkins is one yeah B-Hop that's a great example and I think it's a mixed bag especially it's so after hearing the whole Dennis Schroeder situation and seeing how he um he turned down the contract offer and then he newly signed for probably uh, lower than the big minimum or right above the next minimum so it's hard to make those decisions but I think um just given the nature of Joe Hayden he's always been a productive player and I think he's the guy he's, he's a culture builder like he's the type of guy that you will want in your locker room so I definitely I'm a mixed bag but I don't think he played himself because I think he's the type of guy he'll make he'll earn with the hand. I'm not going to totally say that he played himself, but I do think that he did himself a bit of a disservice because if he has a productive year, then great. He helped himself out a lot. But the problem is going into this next season, he'll be 33 years old. How many teams are really looking at cornerbacks over 30, nonetheless being 33? And so I think that he's going to have to have a really productive year in order to get a contract that he would like or unless he's going to take like a bargain bin deal. So if he was younger, if we're talking about Joe Hayden of the past years, then i probably be like, he's making the right move. But we also have to take into account his age and also his injury history where he's always had, like, some sort of nagging injury going on. So, in this retrospect, I do think he played himself a bit. All right, continuing the conversation of corners, we got to take it out west to the desert. Talk about the Arizona Cardinals, who apparently it seems that Malcolm Butler has decided to retire. There has been no real explanation given yet, but all we know is it is due to personal reasons. With that being said, we got to look at the Arizona Cardinals, who after signing Malcolm Butler really have not done much as far as their cornerbacks. They drafted Marco Wilson in the fourth round. I believe they drafted someone else too. But other than that, it has not been much going in the Cardinals secondary. So did the Cardinals play themselves by not loading up at cornerback this offseason? Oh, I definitely think they did, given the fact that first and foremost, Malcolm Butler, he, he was never a great cornerback. He he had moments, he had flashes. He, I mean, you talked about it off air numerous times. He probably got the biggest payday for one play instead of in the NFL. But as far as after that, he played on the Titans last year. You know how I felt about him. He had numerous moments where he would, he had good interceptions. But he had numerous moments where he would get burnt and look like he was out of position. So tonight, want to have him just as your quarterback one is already an issue. But to also not try to add any depth behind him, they definitely played themselves, especially in a division like the NFC West with the Seattle Seahawks, with DK Metcalf, Russell Willis, and the Tyler Lockett, with the newfound. Los Angeles Rams with Matthew Stafford in his first season and that trio of wide receivers that they have and even the 49ers have some decent wide outs and who knows what it's going to look like if whenever Trey Lane steps in and starts to become the starting quarterback so I definitely think they played those things yeah 150,000% um, even don't I love me some Patrick Peterson but I think even when Patrick Peterson was there they should have done a better job of like preparing their secondary if he was going to leave. 
Because I fully believe that last year they knew that it was going to be Patrick Peterson's last year. So why not make that a priority? While Zayvon Collins is a really good linebacker, I would have went corner. My first instinct would have gotten a corner early. But not only did they not get a corner in the first round, but they waited till the mid-rounds to get one. And this is no disrespect to Marco Wilson, even though <laughs> he's the reason why LSU beat Florida this past year. But, like, I'm sorry. Like, him and Byron Murphy are not a tandem strong enough to where I'm just comfortable with it. And even if you do sign Malcolm Butler, who honestly is overrated, I still would have hit the position more. So, yeah, I think they definitely played themselves. Um, and I think that it's going to be a situation where they're going to be looking to add a corner in the regular season. Because you mentioned the NFC West teams that have high-powered passing attacks. But the thing is, the Cardinals have a good offense. And when you have a pass-heavy and good offense, you know what teams are going to do. They're going to try to attack you the same way that they attack them. So looking at their schedule, it is going to be tough to see them really being able to stop anyone. So, you know, they definitely played themselves. But all right, talking about uh, moves and transactions, let's go ahead and look at um, roster cuts. We mentioned uh, players were released, brought things down to 53-man rosters. So, Ethan, I got your top three, but if you don't have three, that's cool. But what were some of the most surprising roster cuts to you? Uh, I honestly can't even remember who got because I saw it. All right, so I'm going to try to avoid players who got signed right back. But um, starting off at number three, I'm going to say the Bengals cutting tight end Thaddeus Moss. One, because from all, everything that I heard, he had really had a really good camp. Um, of course, he has chemistry with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. So I thought that he was going to be one of those cats who ends up on the 53-man uh, roster. Right now, he's on the practice squad. But I do hope he's able to find a roster spot just because of how great he had been doing in camp. And I'm excited to see what he can do alongside Joe Burrow. Number two, I'm going to say the Cardinals cutting safety Sean Williams. He's a veteran presence, spent most of his uh, career in with uh, Cincinnati um, and was a pretty productive player. And looking at the safeties for the Cardinals, I know they like Jalen Thompson a lot, but he has a difficult time staying healthy. Buda Baker is clearly, you know, one of their guys, but I do think that they could still use some extra depth. So I thought that Sean Williams would be a cat who could be helpful. And then number one, uh, Miami cutting linebacker Bernardic McKinney. I think that with McKinney getting cut and then Shaq Lawson inevitably getting traded it just shows this was a, probably the most useless trade that has happened this offseason because neither team players with the team they got traded to but I mean it's all good um I was kind of surprised by this just because when you look at the linebackers for Miami they're not that strong and so I thought that Bernardic McKinney would have been an easy roster lock and arguably the best linebacker they have on their team so yeah those were three that really shocked me okay I found my list for me Number three, I'm going to say the Titans couldn't wide receiver Dez Fitzpatrick. He was the guy that we, I remember we traded up to get, I think, in the fourth round. Mm-hmm. We easily could have got him in a lower, a lower round. And he was actually the guy that was making plays in training camp and he looked good. And I know that we have, we have Julio, we have AJ. But in my personal opinion, we, that number three wide receiver spot was still always the question to me. Like, I know we picked up Josh Reynolds from the Rams, but I don't know if he was a guy that we could legit step in at wide receiver three. 
Another guy who got cut that shocked a lot of people is quarterback Cam Newton, who the New England's oh my gosh, I never made new word New England Patriots release officially cementing Mac Jones as their starting quarterback. Um, after it, the announcement was made, Cam Newton took to Instagram in his now Jamel Hill described his typing as like serial killer. And now that's all I can think of. Um, but he said, I really appreciate all the love and support during this time. But I must say, please don't feel sorry for me. I'm good. One finger, one pinky, one thumb. Okay. Anyway. One love. One love. And so, what are your thoughts on this move? What's next for Cam Newton? Being honest, I was surprised at the move. But I wasn't extremely surprised. Like, me and you both talked about it off air numerous of times to where it was like, when Matt Jones was running the offense during the preseason, it looked so much smoother. It looked so much. It had a better pace. It also was, um, it, I hate to say it, but it looked very Tom Brady-esque. It looked like the type of offense that you used to see with Tom Brady behind center. They also had this thing where it's like, me and you have talked about it when we think they're just better suited for having period pocket quarterbacks as their um as their quarterback and it's shown and Cam because of injuries and other things he's shown he isn't nearly as accurate as he well he's never been accurate but he's shown that he was not nowhere near as accurate as Mac Jones and that type of offense you need timing and you need accuracy to be their quarterback. Yeah. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah, like like you said, at the moment I was surprised when I saw it, but in turn, it honestly kind of makes sense. Like you mentioned, you got to be able to be accurate in that offense. Mac Jones honestly is just a better overall fit because they had to kind of tailor make the uh, uh, playbook to suit Cam's abilities. And then you got to look at the locker room aspect. In this instance, you don't want to have there be any confusion. Because one thing that I heard more than anything else, like while Cam Newton's play may not be good necessarily, the his teammates loved him. 
It seemed like every person in that Patriots locker room was a big fan of his. So even though cutting him may seem a bit extreme, you got to look at it from Bill Belichick wants everybody to know that this is Mac Jones's team. The days of Cam are over. Get over it. And I think that this is definitely a way to do it. Um, in terms of what's next for Cam, I think that no matter where he ended up, he would end up being a backup. And I think that I can see the Cowboys doing it just because, honestly, they're really desperate to have a backup quarterback. Like, their backup situation is not good. Um, of course, teams mentioned Washington because of the connection between him and Ron Rivera. But at this point, I'm really saying Cowboys are bust. I don't really see... I don't really see anything else really happening. I don't see Cam starting another NFL game barring some sort of injury. So, yeah, if it's not the Cowboys, I really don't know where else he would sign right now. Yeah, I agree. I think Cowboys, the Cowboys are definitely option number one. I do understand the whole Washington football team aspect. Not only in my personal opinion that you don't like the whole connection with Ron Rivera, but it's also this thing of like, you really don't know what you're going to get out of the two quarterbacks that you have in that locker room. Like, well, you kind of more so know what you're going to get from um, Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick. You're going to get a guy that could be one week, he could be on fire, the next week he could not. He could throw, like, four picks. But we really don't know what you're going to get out of Trevor Heineke. So I think if you were to add another body, it could, it could never hurt but I definitely agree with you where I think it is Cowboys or Bush simply because they need a backup quarterback. They just could their two backup quarterbacks. And Dak Prescott has, like, he's going into the season with questions around himself already, and those questions can only get worse as the season progresses. Absolutely, especially knowing who they play week one. All right, speaking of those injuries – there have been quite a few announced over this past week. I'm going to try to lighten around it. And the first one hits a bit close to home. Baltimore losing running back J.K. Dobbins for the season after he tore his ACL in the final preseason game. Wide receiver T.Y. Hilton is having neck surgery and has been put on short-term IR and expected to miss at least the first three weeks of the season. Quarterback Trey Lance is expected to miss at least a week with a finger fracture. Maybe the chance for Jimmy G to solidify why he should still be their starting quarterback? Who knows? And then Vikings lose tight end Irv Smith Jr. for the season after having meniscus surgery. Initially, it was thought to keep him out for the first few weeks of the season, but now it is saying he is going to be out for the year. So let's kind of talk about the Trey Lance situation. Expect, Like I said, expected to miss at least a week of action. Do you think that this solidifies that Jimmy G is their starter week one, or do you still think that Trey Lance has a shot? I think it solidifies he's a starter week one because I think he was always going to be the starter week one anyway. I think if they, just like the way that the Bears are with Andy Dalton, I think they already had the firm plan of like, hey, Jimmy G is going to be our starter. We're going to slowly integrate Trey Lance into this offense as we feel like he's comfortable with the offense and everything going around him. So, and I mean, honestly, we've seen that Jimmy G can win games with that thing. So, and honestly, we both know that the 49ers have always been a extremely run-heavy offense as is. So, even if you are throwing Jimmy G out there, it's not like, you are um, 
you're going to change anything offensively. I feel like more changes can come with Trey Lance because he provides some things that Jimmy G does. And he's more athletic. He can run outside the pocket. He has a completely better arm as far as talent goes. Like, he throws a beautiful deep ball. But I think Jimmy G was going to be the starter anyway. Yeah, I agree. I think that – I'll say this. I truly think that Trey Lance is going to see more playing time than and, than um, Justin Fields, if not for any other reason. But I think that the Bears just do not want to go back on their word of playing Andy Dalton. Whereas with the 49ers, it is very clear that we are going to see quite a bit of Trey Lance during this season. Does that mean he's going to start every game? No, not necessarily. But he is going to see the field in some form or fashion, whether that be in certain spots, whether it be in certain formations, or if they want to kind of create a different run look. I could see them using Trey Lance a lot in that scenario. So I do think we are going to see him quite a bit. But also, talking about some injuries, these may not be necessarily new injuries, but they are injuries bad enough to put players on the physically unable to perform list. And so far, here are the top three biggest names on the list. Cornerback Stephon Gilmore, offensive tackle for the Packers David Bakhtiari, and running back Tariq Cohen are all slated to miss at least the first six weeks of the season. Of these three players, which loss do you think is going to affect their team the most? David Bakhtiari for the Green Bay Packers. We, me, we all know that he has been a focal point of the offensive line for numerous of years, and we all know that they have to protect Aaron Rodgers. Not only is Aaron Rodgers quote-unquote last day in season, but they're also a team that has very high expectations. Like, they could be a team that you could see make it to the NFC Championship game, if not the Super Bowl. And a big reason for that is they've always had a really solid offensive line led by David Bakhtiari. Like, I understand the flashy, sexy name would be to say Stephon Gilmore, but the Patriots have J.C. Jackson, and he can step into the wide receiver one I mean, cornerback one role, and he can hold it down. But you, as an offensive lineman, you can't just take out a all-pro for numerous of years and insert somebody, and it's just going to be on honky door. Yeah. Not to mention, I mean, we all watched that NFC Championship game. A big reason why the Packers offense was having struggles was because Aaron had no time to throw. The Bucks front seven were all over him. And it's difficult to really get yourself getting some momentum if you don't have time. And just imagine how much harder it's going to be without your best offensive lineman, arguably the best left tackle in the league, not able to perform. So, yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you about David Bakhtiari. We've seen this before with the Patriots. They know how to make defensive adjustments to make. Even though Stephon Gilmore is clearly the most talented of their cornerbacks, they're still going to be able to make things work out and still look pretty good. But all right, let's go ahead and kind of look at some trades, starting off with the New York Jets. As we already know, they have suffered quite a few injuries in their defensive line. Carl Lawson out, Benny Curry missing a year. So they seem to be looking for just about anybody and ended up trading for Shaq Lawson, who, as I may mention to earlier, was just traded to the Texans a couple months ago in that Bernard McKinney trade. Next up, the Bengals and the New York Giants trade linemen. Um, the Bengals end up getting a defensive tackle, B.J. Hill, from New York, while the, uh, New York gets 
offensive lineman Billy Price. And finally, Seattle makes moves to their secondary trading for Sidney Jones um, in exchange for a sixth round pick. Of the moves that were made, which one is your favorite? Um, I probably would say the Shaq Lawson to the Jets, simply because we know that the like the Jets, in my personal opinion, just from what I've seen so far in the preseason, the Jets are one of those teams that could potentially be on an uptick sometime soon. Like they, I feel like they have their quarterback of the future in Zach Wilson. They have, um, they have their coach of the future in Robert Salah. So I think now it's just trying to integrate and find players that you can fit into that into that mold. And I know that they've had troubles rushing the passer, and Shaq Lawson can step in and rush the passer and be. He doesn't have to be a star, but he can be a part of a solid rotation of players that can produce pressure. I'm gonna go in the case of uh, Sidney Jones. I think that when Sidney Jones was healthy and really got playing time in Jacksonville last year, he showed why he was a second-round pick, who really could have been a first-round pick had injuries not gone into the way. And I think that especially with Seattle, who signed Akello Witherspoon and just traded him to Pittsburgh, they are in dire need of someone in that secondary who can make plays. DJ Reed was solid in play. Uh, Trey Flowers is another guy who's been solid, but neither of them are necessarily turnover machines. They really don't create those big plays on the ball that Sidney Jones does. And while right now he may not be listed as their number one corner or their number two, I could see him skyrocketing up that um, – up that depth chart and really seeing some significant time and giving them a big boost at their secondary that they have not had in years. But all right, just mentioned the Seahawks. We're heading to their division. We're talking the AFC and the NFC West today, the final clips of our uh, beautiful divisional breakdown. So we're going to start things off with the AFC West. In your opinion, Ethan, who is the most underrated team in the division? In my opinion, the most underrated team has to be the Los Angeles Rams. They are a team that have, um, over the recent course of years, been a really solid team. The only thing that we all feel like they were missing was a quarterback. And I think that they have their same quarterback now in Matthew Stafford. In my personal opinion, they're the most complete team in that whole division. But they just don't get the love because it's like, you know, you have the Seahawks with Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf. You have the 49ers. They're a very historic organization. And they have a new rookie quarterback that's drawing a lot of news. But it hasn't been that much talk about how the Rams could potentially just overtake that division. Um, I'm going to say Seattle is the most underrated team. I think that – why I I would disagree about the Rams not getting much recognition because they've kind of catapulted themselves into like a Super Bowl conversation um, with getting Matthew Stafford, whereas Seattle is kind of like they're the team that everybody forgot about. We know that Russell Wilson is great. We know Jamal Adams is a dog. We know that Bobby Wagner is going to tackle everything in sight. But everybody else is just kind of that question mark, even the good players like DK and, C, uh, DK and Tyler Lockett. And so I think that – 
because we're so used to seeing what Seattle is overall, we just kind of forget how good of a team they are and how many good pieces they have in place. Of course, they still have some issues with regards to their secondary. I'll be the first person to say that. And of course, their offensive line. But this is a team that still always finds a way to compete. Is that 95% because of Russell Wilson? Yeah, but we still know that they're going to be a competitive team and going to give you their all, even if they do have other deficiencies. Uh, moving on to the most overrated team in the division, this is where I have the San Francisco 49ers. I understand that in 2019, they had a tremendous defense. Their run game was run perfectly. George Kittle was the man. Everything seemed to be clicking on their way to the Super Bowl. I get it. However, I am not just going to ignore everything that came before that and everything that has happened after. I'm not going to ignore the fact that their secondary is arguably on paper one of the worst in the league. I'm not saying Richard Sherman made them a top group, but the fact that they really haven't replaced him and they're hoping that um, Jason Barrett, who is good but can't stay healthy, is just immediately going to become this number one corner, I think it's unrealistic. And that's not even talking about their safeties. Not to mention their offense is a fine offense, but we've seen that if their run game really is not going or if they don't get that monster game from Raheem Mostert, it's going to have struggles. And, yes, George Kittle is the man, but you got to have more than that. And so just for teams to think and pundits alike, just thinking the 49ers are all of a sudden just going to, as soon as they step on the field, they're just going to take over, I think it's a bit unrealistic. Yeah, I'm going to completely agree with you with the 49ers for everything that you just stated. Like, the reality is they don't have a great secondary. They're going to rely heavily on Jason Barrett, who you said is the often injured player. And offensively, like, what are they going to look like? Like, we're going to understand that they're going to run the ball heavy. But who's to say by week four, week five, they're going to insert trade lanes? What is that going to look like? Because you're a team that's a quote-unquote Super Bowl contending team is going to have a rookie quarterback. I do like the idea of Trey Lance as their starting quarterback because he provides some things that they just don't have in Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, he's able to stretch the field. He's athletic. He's able to make those amazing throws that you've seen a lot of great quarterbacks make throughout the course of the on NFL. But... They, like you said, if it's run, it's run game with butts, almost. Yeah. All right, so talk to me about who is your favorite player in that division. My favorite player in that division, I have to go with Bobby Wagner. Um, he's been, in my opinion, he's still, he's been the best linebacker over the past couple of years. He's also being a tackling machine, he's a defensive leader, and he's one of those guys that you know every Sunday you can account for him, and he's going to be there to make plays. This was tough because when I first thought about it, I was like, oh, yeah, it's easily my brother-in-law, Russell Wilson. But then I was like, wait, Jamal is there too. And it's hard for me to pick between the two. So I'm going to go a 1A, 1B situation. I'm still going to go Russ because he's still – Probably my favorite offensive player in the league, but Jamal Adams is like right below him. All right, so prove it year. This may be a shocker, but I'm gonna say this is a prove it year for JJ Watt. 
in terms of guys who've like created a career where they don't really have anything to prove, J.J. Watt is at the top of the list. However, I think that if he does not have a year where he strongly contributes, I think that the conversation of him being one of those top defensive linemen are over. And while he's had a tremendous year, I want to say, what, three-time defensive player of the year, multiple seasons of double-digit sacks. I mean, don't get me wrong. J.J. Watt in his best was a bad, bad man. If I had to compare anybody to what Aaron Donald is, it would be J.J. Watt. But we haven't seen that player in the last few years, and I think that if he has another year where he kind of slumps or he's not putting up those big numbers, I think that the conversation for him being in the top class are over. Yeah, I'm actually agree with people with J.J. White. Um, he, he's been a great, and I think he's in his mode where he fits a certain type of category now, where he isn't the dominant pass rusher that he's been in the past, but he's a great run defender. He can stop the run at an extremely successful rate, and I think that he's a guy that he could potentially – Revigorate his career, or like you said, he could be a guy that you look up and he's not the uh, he's not looked at as one of the better defensive linemen in the NFL. So I have to go with JJ Watt. All right, so breakout player who's breaking out this year? Breakout player, I'm gonna say running back, um, Devo Dallas from the Seattle Seahawks. I understand that they have. Chris Carson, and he's been a beast, but Chris Carson is also a guy that doesn't stay healthy. So, and Debo Dallas, he's shown flashes before this season, but I think this is going to be the first season when he finally can put some stuff together and look like a really good player. All right, I'm going to stick with, in the desert, I'm going to say Isaiah Simmons. He was a guy who I was incredibly high on last year coming into this draft, mainly because of his versatility. But unfortunately, he had some nice showings as a rookie, but he really wasn't able to put it together. But I think that now with more defensive faith in him and the bodies up front, I think that's going to create a lot more opportunities for him. And I think that he's going to be able to show why he was such a talked-about defensive product. And I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do this year. Um, Moving on to rookie to watch, I tried to stray away from, like, the bigger names or, like, the quarterbacks. But in this case, and considering the other rookies in the division, I've got to go with Trey Lance. I think that Trey Lance is going to be a guy who, I think more so than Jimmy G, is going to determine their their future. I think that if he can play to the potential of what they drafted him to be, I think that he can really prove to be a great player and really help usher in this new era of the 49ers who are a perennial playoff threat. Because with Jimmy G, I don't really see that. Do I think they're going to be a team that's competitive? Yeah, sure, but I think they're still going to be an average team. And I think that Trey Lance is going to be what takes them from average to above average. Yeah, I'm also in agreement with Trey Lance. I also think if it's one of those situations as to where maybe in his first year, he doesn't necessarily um, play to his full potential. Like, what if he's a guy that he just plays, he's a steady quarterback, but he shows flashes. With the roster, overall roster that they have in San Francisco, if he's able to do that, I can see them winning a lot of games. Like, they, I don't, I understand there's a lot of quarterbacks in recent history that have just come in and been amazing. I.E. Justin Herbert, I mean, I.E. Justin Herbert, I.E. Joe Burrow before he got hurt. But I think in the case of um, Trey Lance, if he's able to come in and 
just make plays and manage the game. Kind of similar to when Dak Prescott came in after Tony Romo got injured. A lot of people thought about Dak Prescott's rookie season. Yes, he was such a this amazing quarterback. When he came in, he really was a game manager. He made plays and key downs. If Trey Lance is able to do that with the roster that they have in place, that can result into a lot of wins for the 49ers. Yeah, I mean, I'm at, Dak is a really good comparison because, I mean, what did Dak have in his rookie year? A strong running game. And I still bang the drum that Zeke should have won rookie of the year that year. That's neither here nor there. But with regards to the 49ers, they have so many bodies. We've seen great flashes from Raheem Mostert. I really like Trey Sermon. I mean, they got so many players at running back that somebody is bound to go off. It may not be the same player on a game-to-game basis, but because they have so much depth, you don't really know who to hone in on. But all right. Bold predictions for the NFC West. What you got? Bold predictions. Matthew Stafford is going to be a top four candidate in the MVP vote. Not mad at that. I'm going to go on the defense side of the ball, and I'm going to talk about the 49ers. I'm going to say Nick Bosa returns 100% healthy, but he is nowhere near the talent that he showed his rookie year. And without much of a pass rush, the 49ers off defense goes from one of the best to one of the worst. And I got Rams winning this division. What about you? Yeah, I'm in the Rams. I got the Rams winning this division, too. All right, let's look at the AFC West, starting with the most underrated team. Who would you go with? Oh, this is tough, but I think I'm going to go with the Las Las Vegas Raiders simply because I like what they have on the offensive side of the ball. Yes, their defense still has huge question marks. But in all honesty, outside of the um, Chiefs, they're the only competent team in that division because we don't know what the Broncos are going to look like given the fact that they have a completely new starting quarterback. They have Von Miller returning. Is he going to return as their player? But I think the Raiders are a team that could come sneak under the radar and get a lot of um, key wins. Uh, for me, I'm going to say the Broncos. I think that when we look at a team, the first thing we think about is their quarterback situation. And then we have this tendency to be like, oh, if their quarterback isn't good, their team isn't good. Well, looking at the Broncos, I would say they're a major exception to that because they have solid depth at every position. Their wide receivers are all pretty good or at least have potential to be. I'm excited to see Corlin Sutton coming back after tearing his ACL. Jerry Judy showed flashes as a rookie, not to mention other cats like KJ Hambler. Um oh my gosh, I'm missing people. But you oh and uh Tim Patrick. Tim Patrick is another guy who really flashed, even though he wasn't what considered to be a top guy. Same that goes for their secondary, which you could argue is one of the best in the league, linebackers, defensive line. Like overall, they have a really good roster, but because Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater are new no players that really inspire much faith, nobody really looks at them. I think that this could be an opportunity for them to change that. With regards to my most overrated team, I'm gonna say the Chargers. And not even just because of um, Justin Herbert. I think that it's going to be tough for him to replicate the success of his rookie year. And that's just for any rookie who has success. But 
In addition to him, I think that their secondary still has some questions. Casey Hayward, it, it's understandable why they let him go. But right now it's kind of murky with their number one corner situation. There's Chris Harris there. There's Asante Samuel Jr. there. But it's a question of neither of those guys necessarily have the favorable size that you want out of a number one corner. So who's going to take on that responsibility? Derwin James is finally healthy, but he's missed the last two years with knee injuries. Is he going to come back the same player? Melvin Ingram is gone, and that's just – that takes away a dominant duo that was him and Joey Bosa. Like, it's a lot of questions overall on this roster, not to mention, unlike teams like the Broncos or the Chiefs, they don't have much depth anywhere. It's very They have a very top-heavy roster, but God forbid one of their players go down and then they're going to struggle. So I would say the Chargers. Yeah, I'm also in agree with you with the Chargers. I like, I do like the moves they made as far as um, fortifying their offensive line, but like you stated, they don't have any depth. If one of their offensive linemen is hurt, who's going to step in behind them? Are they going to be complacent enough to actually help them win games? Um, like you said with Joe Burrow, um, not Joe Burrow, but um, Justin Herbert, you know, you, are you going to be able to replicate the success of your rookie year? Now teams have tape. They can study your tendencies. We all know that NFL defenses, they hone in on the tendencies of offenses. They hone in on what you like to do, what gets you uncomfortable. And now they have a full season of tape to look at to see what what like makes you tick. Also, you stated they their pass rush and their defense isn't going to be the same. They've never been a great defense to begin with, but they lost Mary Ingram. They lost one part of their one two clips. So I definitely have to go to the Chargers also. Alright. This was probably one of the tougher divisions to pick this, but who is your favorite player of the divisions. I'm not gonna lie, this is tough. Uh, For me it's stuck between two players. Actually no it's not. It's Chris Jones. Okay. Okay, fair. I was stuck between Von Miller and another Kansas City Chief, but I gotta go kill a Trav. I love me some Travis Kelsey. He's one of the most entertaining players in the league. I mean I already stated multiple times he's my favorite white boy in the league. He is a I'm sorry. Every, if you can throw a flag back at a ref, I recently watched that clip again, and it still made me laugh. I mean, you're going to have a special place in my heart. Not to mention he's a great player. He's a philanthropist in his own right. Like, Killer Trav is a bad man. Definitely my favorite player. Von Miller, Von Miller was close. He was second, even though the BS this past offseason. But, no, I love me some Von Miller, too. All right, so who is needing a proven year, in your opinion? The man that you just mentioned, Von Miller, I think he, before he shown, before a couple of seasons ago, he, he was showing the decline as not being a dominant pass rusher. I think a lot of that had to do with injuries. And then, again, this past season, he was injured. I think he's in a proven year to show that he can actually stay healthy and show that he can step up to the level of play that he has in the past. I mean, Von Miller went healthy is one of the best pass rushers in the NFL. It's no debate in my personal opinion. But he was showing that he's not been healthy and he has trouble staying healthy. And because of that, his production has dipped down. I could see that. Um, I went a coach before, and I'm going to go a coach again. I'm going John Gruden. Anytime you give a head coach a 10-year, $100 million deal, you are expecting at least one Super Bowl. And while the Raiders have done some solid things this offseason, 
I would not call them a Super Bowl candidate. I have a hard time even saying they're a playoff candidate right now. And so I think a big part of that is because of John Gruden. Some of his decision-making since he's been on the team has not been great. Case in point, trading Khalil Mack, which is still one of the stupidest moves that have taken place in the last five years. And then, as you can see, they still have never been able to refill that hole. You look at other positions on the team that they could have had solutions to but did not make it happen. And it's not all on John Gruden, but as the head coach, as someone who's probably the biggest face on the team, he has to take the brunt of it. And I think that if they don't at least carve out a year where they make the playoffs or get very close to it, I think that we could see John Gruden out of the NFL again and back on ESPN. Um, but let's change gears to breakout player. And my breakout player is going to be cornerback Mike Hughes for the Kansas City Chiefs. He was a guy who was traded from the Vikings, a former first-round pick, I believe, who honestly, when he was on the field, he was able to make plays. But time and time again, we see those guys who are playmakers, but they can't stay healthy. I think that with the Chiefs, they have been longing for someone who can really take over and be that number one corner since Marcus Peters. Um, and I don't think that they've really found that in the past five years. However, I think that that can really change with a guy like Mike Hughes. I think that pairing him up with a Jerry Sneed is going to be a very fun young cornerback duo to watch just because they're both explosive, they're both physical, they're both great man coverage corners. And I think that that can really show great things, not only for the Chiefs defense, but really put some eyes on Mike Hughes and show why he was such a sought-after player. Oh, for me, this wide receiver. I believe his name is Brandon Edwards. I might be butchering his Byron, name. uh Brian Edwards. Yeah, Brian Edwards. I'm sorry. For the Las, for the Las Vegas Raiders, I've seen a lot of highlights of him in training camp this offseason, and he looked like a man amongst boys. This is a big man, a big, fast, strong man, and he's shown to make plays where he makes incredible catches. And I think given the fact that the um that the Raiders, in my opinion, don't have a true number one wide receiver, I think he can step in and potentially fulfill that role. Alright, which rookie are you watching? Which rookie? Hmm. Patrick Chatan, easily. Um, I think he he showed flashes in the preseason of what he could be, but I think he's gonna be that next Lock open coming lockdown corner, and he has the swag, he has the ability. I just think he's gonna be overall a great player. For me, I'm gonna say another corner. I'm gonna go Asante Samuel Jr. I mentioned my hiccups with the Chargers secondary. And while I do love them drafting Asante Samuel Jr., I'm interested to see how he fits in. I mean, he's a player who has a similar play style to that of Chris Harris, who is a player they already have, who was a well-known slot corner. So I'm interested to see how his role carves out. Where is he going to be positioned, and how is that going to work for this defense? I mean, by watching him at Florida State, you wouldn't even really trip off his size because he was still a dog. And if he's able to translate that to the NFL, that could be a great thing for the Chargers. But all right, my bold prediction for the AFC West. This, I'm not a char. I have no beef with the Chargers, but I'm just not, I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. I'm not buying the hype. And I think that they finished this season at the bottom of the division. Whoa. There is a bold prediction. The wow. sophomore slump. I think it's going to hit Justin Herbert hard. 
prediction is the Las Vegas Raiders are going to sneak in and make the playoffs. Man, they better. They better for everybody's sake. Um, all right, who you got winning the division? I think we're both going to say Chiefs, but. Yeah, for sure, the Chiefs. All right. The juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, it'd be fun if we could, like, say anybody but the Chiefs, but let's be honest. We know it's going to be the Chiefs. But all right, so let's go ahead and talk a quick prediction for the start of week one. By the time the next episode is recorded, week one, the first game of the season between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would have already taken place. So we're going to make our predictions right now. I got Bucks winning 31-17, to and they're going to tag Dak up. I got Bugs winning 31-24. Okay. A closer game. All right, so let's move on to believable or buffoonery. We mentioned it earlier with Mac Jones getting the starting quarterback job for the Patriots. And even prior to this move, Dan Orlowski on Get Up said this, Mac Jones today is the better player than Cam Newton. If Mac is the quarterback, I believe this closes the gap between New England and all the other really good teams in the AFC, mainly Kansas City, Cleveland, and Buffalo. Believable or buffoonery, Mac Jones helps closes the gaps for the top AFC teams. I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, no, I'm not going to put that much hype into a rookie quarterback. Um, it's different if you were, and honestly, a rookie quarterback that probably wasn't even the best in his draft class. Like, he's a good quarterback, don't get me wrong. This isn't Peyton Manning. Like, this, this isn't Andrew Luck. This isn't Trevor Lawrence. If you were to say one of those names as a rookie, I could put some more stock into it, but this is a guy that we still have questions about. So I can't put that much stock into it. Yeah, I think that the Patriots were going to make it work regardless. I mean, I said it in the AFC East predictions. I think they still find a way to the playoffs. But I don't think that this is all of a sudden just become a juggernaut offense because to beat teams like the Chiefs, like the Bills, you can throw Baltimore in there and Cleveland. You have to be able to score because they are going to score. And right now with the Patriots offense, I'm still not in love with their acquisitions, especially at corner. So, I mean, not corner, at wide receiver. So, yeah, no, I'm not I'm not going that far. Uh, continuing on the conversation of the Patriots and Cam Newton, believable or buffoonery, is Cam Newton a Hall of Famer? In his career, he's been an MVP an all-pro, one-time NFC champion, made three Pro Bowls, has over 31,698 passing yards, 190 passing touchdowns, 5,398 rushing yards, 70 rushing touchdowns. So, Cam, the Hall of Famer, believable or buffoonery? Um, I'm going to go with believable. I don't think Cam Newton will be a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I do think that at some point in his um. Lifetime, he's able to speak into the Hall of Fame. I'm gonna say buffoonery. I think while Cam is definitely like, if we're looking at quarterbacks, like mobile quarterbacks, he's in the upper echelon. And one could definitely argue that of the mobile quarterbacks, he has the best resume. But even still, it's like Cam had a tremendous 2015 year, like the year he won MVP was great and that but the Super Bowl loss hurt and like since then he's never really been able to reach those heights if anything he's gotten a bit progressively worse and that was only like four years into his career 
And so I think that barring some sort of like career renaissance somewhere, I don't think it happens. He's definitely falls into the category of like the hall of the very good, but hall of fame. I just see too many quarterbacks who one who aren't even put in there yet. Um, and then there's quarterbacks right now in the league who I think would take precedent over him. So I'm I'm going to call buffoonery on that. But speaking of the Hall of Fame, we got to talk about Pac-Man Jones, who recently uh, spoke with uh, Shannon Sharp about his Hall of Fame status and said, if you go back and look at history, who would be your top three or four returners from 2005 to 2017? If you look at the average, how many times I've touched the ball with even being suspended, I had more yards than Devin Hester. If you look at how many times we touched the ball. So, believable or buffoonery? Should Pac-Man Jones be in the Hall of Fame? I'm calling buffoonery on that. Yeah, buffoonery. I don't even have to really address it. Yeah, no. You can try to bring up Devin Hester, but if you want to compare touchdowns, it ain't yeah. close. But continuing on with some other legends of the era, we got Asante Samuel, who used to be a former Patriot and has some strong words to say about Bill Belichick. He told uh, Twitter, without Brady, Bill Belichick is just another coach. Believable or buffoonery, Bill Belichick is actually an average head coach hiding behind the shadow of Tom Brady. Um... I'm torn in between believable and buffoonery in this, simply because since Tom Brady has left, Bill has looked like an average coach. But I also know that since Tom Brady has left, things in New England have been completely different. Like the normal structure that you used to have in New England wasn't there. Tom Brady left a lot of the guys, a lot of his starters and key players opted out because of COVID. They also had to deal with Cam Newton as a quarterback in his um, deficiencies and his injuries. I think this season would be the perfect season to show if he's an above, if he's just an average coach or an above average coach. Because I think he's going to have, outside of Stephon Gilmore, he's going to primarily have all of his defense intact. He has his quarterback that he puts the favor in. He has weapons on offense. So I think this would be the previous season to see if he's an average coach or not. I'm going to say buffoonery because you made a lot of really good points about how many players had opted out or just did not play last year. Then you factor in, you got a brand new quarterback for the first time in 20 years. You clearly don't have the star power that you typically have. And it's still a wonder to me that they even won seven games. I would really, honestly, what other Coach, do you think will win seven games with that roster? With the receivers that they had, the struggles on defense, losing everybody. I think that to win that many games in itself deserves a pat on the back. Of course, if you're Bill Belichick, you want a ring. A pat on the back is nothing to you. But, yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that. And plus, I think it's just hard to really gauge after just one year. Like, it'd be one thing if we're five years in and we're like, oh, yeah, no, Tom, Bill Belichick hasn't even made the playoffs since then. So, no, I'm calling buffoonery. I think that Bill deserves more of a chance, especially for everything that he's done throughout his career, to just be seen as, like, an average quarterback after just one season. I mean, a, a average head coach. 
But all right, let's continue on with the coach and quarterback relationship. Let's take it to Miami. Uh, Brian Flores has been asked time and time again about the future of Tua Tagovailoa. If he is the quarterback of the future, if they're going to trade for Deshaun Watson, and he definitively said recently, "I don't know how much clearer I can be." Tua is our quarterback. I can say it again. Um, in response, Tua responded, "It means a lot. I'm just fo- focused literally on trying to get our guys ready for next week." So. Believable or buffoonery, Tua really is going to be the Dolphins' quarterback of the future. This is another one where it's hard, but for the time being, I am going to say it's believable because we both know that the reason these questions are in um that are being presented as far as Tua has a lot of concern with Deshaun Watson and his status as a Houston Texan. But we also know that Deshaun Watson has a big legal matter that's present in his in his path. If everything were, you know, honky dory, no legal trouble aside, I would say buffoonery because I would say that the Miami Dolphins would do everything that they can that they can to get Deshaun Watson. But with this legal issue that Deshaun Watson has, I'm going to lean more towards the side of buffoonery more so the side of believable because no team wants to associate themselves with what Deshaun Watson has to go on going on right now. That's fair. Yeah, I'm calling be- uh, believable on this too, mainly because of the other quarterbacks you could really get, the only one that is like hands down better than Tua is Deshaun Watson. And like you mentioned, if this was a different situation and Deshaun was like not – even if this was a different universe and this wasn't happening, oh, no, I would take Deshaun in a heartbeat. I would tell Tua I'm trying to get Deshaun Watson and wish him the best on his on his way in Houston. But in this situation, I think that Tua is really your best bet, especially if you don't want to cough up as much as Houston wants to get for him. So, yeah, I'm calling believable on that as well. All right, final piece before we move on to the NBA, Zach Ertz. It's After this offseason, it was a lot of questions about if Zach Ertz would be returning to the Philadelphia Eagles, possibility of him getting cut, traded, all the good stuff. But apparently it seems the two sides have mended their relationship and things are back on easy street. In a recent press conference, he said, this is the place I want to be. This is the place I want to retire. I'm moving on from everything that happened this offseason. There's been apologies. So, believable or buffoonery, Zach Ertz will retire a Philadelphia Eagle. I think it's believable. I think he, if he has another productive season this year, he might stick around. Or if he doesn't have a productive season, I think he might honestly call it quits after this season and just go ahead and retire. Simply because Zach Ertz has been a guy that's been through some very bad injuries over the course of these past couple of years. And I think he wants to, he could be a guy that wants to kind of similar to like Andrew Luck, wants to retire when he's still able to like act physically be able to walk type of situation. So I think it's believable. Yeah, I think believable too, especially coming off of last year wasn't where it wasn't necessarily the best. I think that it really can, I think that year hurt his stock a lot. Um, and, yeah, so I think that Philly right now would be best to just try to get the best out of him. And then if he has another bad year, at least you have Dallas Goddard there. 
if you can work on that extension. So, yeah, I'm calling believable. But, all right, let's talk about the NBA. And we got to head to the grit and grind, the Bluff City, one of my favorite places on earth, Memphis, Tennessee, where they announced early this week on 901 Day that the Grizzlies will be retiring the jerseys of Tony Allen and Zach Randolph. I know you are a huge Grizzlies fan. You were there for those grit and grind days. As a fan, how do you feel about this news? I'm excited. I think that it's well-deserved. We, as a guy, like you said, that was there for those grit and grind days, a man that was there in playoff games that solidified the grit and grind era, I think it is amazing. Uh, I'm also really glad that, it's, at least for the time being, that we're going to have fans able to attend the Jersey Retirement Ceremony games. I plan to attend both Jersey Retirement games simply because, as you know, Zach Randolph is one of my all-time favorite players, and I love Tommy Allen. So I think it's a great thing, and it also is just one of those things where it's like you can – with our current iteration of the Grizzlies, that's something that they can look at and be like, I want to be like Debo, I want to be like TA, I want to set this culture, help continue to set a culture that we, in Memphis, because for the longest, Memphis was an afterthought. Memphis was a laughing stock of the NBA. And then you inserted Zebo, Mike Conley, Tony, and Mark, and they were one of the more feared teams to play, especially come playoff time. And I think that with our current iteration of Grizzlies, we could be something very similar. So I think it's a great thing. Yeah, I am in agreement. Like, before I moved to Memphis, I was – I liked the Grizzlies. I was a fan of the whole quartet of Tony Allen, Zebo, Mike Conley, Marcus All. But I was a Lakers fan through and through. But once I moved to Memphis, I really gained an appreciation for the Grizzlies. And even though, of course, those days were long gone – just how much that core meant to the city. And so I'm happy for them, and I'm happy for the team to really be able to acknowledge that and give them their flowers that they deserve. But all right, speaking of my Lakers and Nets, they've both made some solid moves. After being bought out by the Memphis Grizzlies, Rajon Rondo is heading back to the Lakers on a one-year deal. Also, um, after being traded to the Detroit Pistons in a move where it was really just to get him off the nets. DeAndre Jordan is also going to be headed to Los Angeles. And then for the nets, they signed Paul Millsap on a one-year deal. So of these three moves, which one? Oh, and also LaMarcus Aldridge was cleared to return to play. And he also signed with the nets. So of these moves, which one would you say is the best? I would go Rondo. I mean, 
I I will give the Nets this. They have definitely prioritized getting depth because I think that they not easy. They could have won an NBA championship had they had more depth. Had they had more coming off the bench in the event of KD and Kyrie going down. Um, so yeah, with regards to that, I do think that Paul Millsap provides a bit more. Honestly, I think he gives you a bit more than Lamarcus Aldridge does. So while it's nice to have LA coming back, realistically, I think that Paul Millsap is a bigger signing. I would say Rondo just because I mean you need a leader off the bench. We know what Rondo is. We saw what he can do in LA. He fits what they're trying to do. Um, another trade that took place because the Grizzlies have just been willing and dealing this offseason. Um, so the Memphis Grizzlies have agreed to trade forward Hancho Hernan Gomez to Boston for guards Chris Dunn, Carson Edwards in a 2026 second round pick swap. Um, the move cannot be officially made until September 15th. But barring anything happening, the move is going to take place. So, Ethan, you're a Grizzlies fan. What are your thoughts on this? Um, I think it's, me personally, I think it's a good deal for a potential future. Like, we don't know. Carson Edwards, if so, he could be a guy that can step up and make plays in the future. And Chris Dunn, we know who Chris Dunn is in the NBA. He's a guy that can play defense, but he's not going to get much PT. Um... I like the idea of this um, pick swap and what it could potentially present as far as potentially packaging things for a future for a future player or for just a future period. I think it's just an even trade of all in all because I think the Celtics got something that they needed in a backup center and we just kind of just assume assets basically. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, you can never really have too much depth. And, I mean, who's to say even Chris Dunn and Carson – Edwards are going to end up on the team by the time the season rolls around. But overall, I like the wheeling deal that the Grizzlies are doing, getting something for something as opposed to just getting nothing. Um, I think that Jared Culver, I think he has a real shot to stay on this team. And, I mean, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when the first real trades were taking place. I don't think that the Grizzlies are done. I can see them continuing to make moves to help fortify this team, to make their playoff uh, appearance this past season not just a one-off thing. So, I like what they're doing, and I think that it can really work out in the long run. But talking about things that seem to have worked out, Dennis Rodman clearly just has the ability to do things that most other human beings cannot. One of the biggest examples of that were his 48 hours in Vegas while he was supposed to be playing for the Chicago Bulls. Because it's such an extraordinary story, of course, Hollywood had to get on it. And Dennis Rodman has signed on to be one of the executive producers for the upcoming movie 48 Hours in Vegas, which is based on his trip to Las Vegas during the 1998 NBA Finals. Ethan, first off, will you be watching? And secondly, what are you expecting from this movie? Like, presenting throughout the course of the NBA. So I'm looking 
Yeah, because on the last dance, they couldn't spend way too much time talking about what he did in those 48 hours. But because this is something solely focused on that, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I think that for the new generation who doesn't really know anything about Dennis Rodman, I think they're going to see, like, you may think you have, your like, your rock stars and, like, your partiers now, but Dennis Rodman was in a whole different league of his own. So I'm excited for it. Whether it's a, they end up doing a kind of documentary style like they did The Malice in the Palace or if they actually try to find an actor to portray uh, Dennis Rodman, which I would, I can't wait to see who they um who they cast in it i think it's gonna be a lot of fun to watch all right one more thing before we play believable or buffoonery let's rank some nba big threes believe it or not that we are just a little over a month and a half away before the start of the season and it seems like every team is trying to create a strong big three but there can only be five who we list so ethan do you want to go first or do you want me to go first I'll let you go first. Okay. Not going to lie, this was very tough. So starting off at number five, I'm going to go D-Book, CP3, DeAndre Aiden for the Suns. I mean, typically when a team goes to the finals with the, the trio like this, you would think they'd be a little bit higher. But, I mean, CP3 is kind of aging a bit. But CP3 is still the man. We know CP3 is a great distributor, a mid-range assassin. D-Book, the sky is really the limit for him, especially if they can continue to build a team around him. And DeAndre Ayton really showed why he was the first overall pick just a couple of seasons ago this past playoff series. And I think that this could really be an opportunity for the Suns to really build off this, even if CP3 doesn't last his four-year um, contract extension, with spoiler alert, I don't really think he does. But overall, right now, it's clear that this group can really thrive together, and I'm excited to see what they can do for however long they have it. Number four, another finals trio, uh, Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. While on the surface, these are all three very good players, we already know that Giannis is the big dog. Drew Holiday has shown great offensive flashes, but we know he's a great defensive player. And then Chris Middleton is a guy who's like, he on one night, he looks like, he could star on a team. He looks like he could be a team's best player. And then on the next night, it's like this man is not even there. It is incredibly frustrating to watch, but when all three of those pieces are clicking, we see what can happen. They just won an NBA championship. Number three, the Golden State Warriors, Klay Thompson, Stephen Curry, and Draymond Green. I know that all three of those cats are a bit older, but when they were clicking and at their best, they were a part of one of the best dynasties in recent NBA history. I mean, it really didn't matter what the other pieces were around them. As long as those three were together, we knew that Golden State was going to be a problem. And for the first time in about three years, we are finally going to see all the pieces coming together. Does this mean it's going to parlay into an NBA championship? No, but it's definitely going to be fun to watch. And if uh, Klay Thompson is back, it'll be fun to see the return of the Splash Bros. Number two, I'm going Lakers with Russ, AD, and LeBron. We already know my thoughts on Russell Westbrook joining the Lakers. I don't have to say them again. But at the very least, they are an extremely experienced trio. We know that LeBron and um, AD play very well with each other. They have a championship to prove that. And I think that with bringing in Russ, at the very least, it provides more playmaking and explosiveness, even if it kind of – 
is contrary to what they already have. And if number one, easily it's the Nets, KD, Kyrie, Harden. I don't really need to add anything more to that. So my list is the exact same as yours, so I'm going to do something completely different. I'm going to do my, I guess you could say, top three honorable mentions. Okay, that's fair. So at number three, I am going to say it's the Memphis Grizzlies with John Moran, Dylan Brooks, and Jane Jackson Jr. I understand a lot of people, especially in Memphis, might question this decision because Memphis right now, they're under the belief that Jane Jackson Jr. is a bad player. But me personally, I am under the belief that he's not. He's going to step back into form this season and might maybe even be better. He's fully healthy. The injury that he sustained and he came back from is typically an injury that takes two years to recover from fully. This is year two. I also can personally say, like, I've watched a lot of those open runs that he's been in, and he's the healthy. Um, John Moran has the potential to be one of the best players in the future, in the um, NBA, in the near to upcoming future. And Dylan Brooks is one of those fiery, feisty guys that I I have a love-hate relationship with him, but I, I definitely see his place on the team. Number two, I am going to say... The Miami Heat with the um with the trio of Kyle Lowry, Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. I think this is going to be a good trio of players because they all speak that mold of big bulldogs. They get it out the mud. They're tough. They're fiery. Kyle Lowry, yes, he's older, but he's still a guy that can he can still shoot. He can still get to the basket. He still can be an aggressive bulldog. We know what you. Yes, Jimmy Butler isn't the same player that he's been in the past due to age and probably just overall usage, but he's still a good player, and Bam is just one of the better young up-and-coming bigs in the NBA. And number one, I'm saying this with the president on, I don't like Ben Simmons, and I'm ready for him to leave, but I still will say Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, and Tobias Harris. The reason I'm saying this is, for one, Joel Embiid is a top 10 player in today's NBA. Especially, he especially proved in last season he was in shape. Doc Rivers instilled the confidence to him to go dominate, and he did it on a nightly basis. Even in the playoffs, when he was actually injured, he still dominated. Tobias Harris is a really good complimentary piece to Joel Embiid. He can stretch the floor. He can create his own shot. You can also create shots for others. Ben Simmons, yes, he has his flaws as an offensive player, but he is a guy that can run the offense. He can facilitate. He can defend one through five, and he can he can just be a menace overall defensively. So that's what I, those are my top three um, honorable mentions. I could definitely see that, and we're going to get to Ben Simmons in just a second but all right let's go ahead play believable or buffoonery and then this first piece is something that that hits real close to home uh gilbert arenas was on the no chill pod podcast and he talked about the bots kobe cp3 tandem oh what could have been and he said it would have destroyed the league for at least 10 years he mentioned the if kobe and the he mentioned that if the lakers were able to also 
keep Dwight Howard and the cap space that they had, it would have just been cold-blooded. And I'm calling buffoonery on that, mainly because he got his math wrong. We tried to get CP3 in 2011, even before we thought about getting uh, Dwight Howard. So that negates one thing. And then two, Kobe wasn't going to play another 10 years because this was in 2011. So he had, what, five more years? How does it destroy the league if we could have got at least two or three more rings? That's all I'm saying. I'm calling buffoonery.
favorites, and then you have to look at Golden State if they're able to, if Clay's able to return and play to like peak form, Clay Thompson, especially offensively, because I think defensively that's what he's going to regress. But I don't see Miami winning the championship with this current big three. Yeah, me either. And I think that while they have a solid team, that's still going to be. They're still going to be feisty. They're still going to be competitive. I don't necessarily look at them and be like, yes, you are going to win a championship. I just don't see it. And I like the core group that they have, but realistically, no. Um, So let's go ahead talk some Ben Simmons. You mentioned him getting out of Philly. Well, he wants to get out of Philly too. And it seems that the Minnesota Timberwolves will be happy to have him. Uh, Patrick Beverly responded to a tweet um, a couple days ago that asked, Add Ben Simmons to D'Angelo Russell, Carl Anthony Towns, and Anthony Edwards, and you got a contender. He replied, facts, with the eye emoji. Believable or buffoonery? Ben Simmons going to the Timberwolves makes them a contender. For me, this is a hot pile of buffoonery. Realistically, I don't think you trade Ben Simmons there and not get D'Angelo Russell. But even if D'Lo stayed, I don't see them as a contender. Good luck, though, but no. All right, continuing on with Ben Simmons. The media has set out many narratives, uh, one of which being that he doesn't get along with his teammates, does not have a relationship with his teammates, to which Joel Embiid took umbrage to that. He tweeted, sources, trust me, bro. Stop using my name to push people's agendas. I love and hate drama. I love playing with Ben. Stats don't lie. He's an amazing player, and we all didn't get the job done. It's on me personally. I hope everyone is back because we know we're good enough to win. Believable or buffoonery, Joel Embiid really wants Ben Simmons back on the 76ers. I'm calling buffoonery. Yeah, I'm calling it too. And I hate to be the guy that, you know, goes against what a player says. But no, I think as a player, you just know fit. And Ben Simmons doesn't fit with what they have in Philly. Yeah. So I'm definitely calling buffoonery. Not to mention, we all saw Joel Embiid's reactions to Ben Simmons in the playoffs this year. He even, during a press press conference, made mention of Ben Simmons not taking shots. He was clearly upset. And I think that for a player like uh, Joel Embiid, who we mentioned earlier, had an MVP caliber year, has shown that he is a top 10 player in this league. And... Probably was as close as he's been in his career to getting a ring. And Ben Simmons, he can say it's on him. He can say that nobody stepped up. But Ben Simmons did not score in the fourth quarter of several games. He was offensively imaginary. He was not there. And if you want to compete in the NBA today, you have to be able to score. So, no, I'm calling buffoonery. Joel, I understand you want to be a a good teammate. You want to be mature. Nah, you know better. Speaking of maturity, we got to talk Shaq, who has been a transcendent force in the NBA. He's a great analyst when he remembers what players he's supposed to be talking about. And most importantly, Shaq knows how to talk trash. And most recently, he sent out a challenge to LeBron and Zaire saying, uh, set it up, me and Sharif, his son, of course, challenging LeBron and Bronny and Dwayne 
and his son Zaire on a two-on-two -two tournament. Believable or buffoonery, Shaq and Sharif would win against Bron and Bronny and Dwayne and Zaire in a two-on-two -two game. Yeah, I'm calling buffoonery on that too. Now, if we were talking like prime days, this would be a different conversation. Just because not, I don't think nobody was gonna be scoring on LeBron. I mean, not LeBron on Shaq, and I don't think anybody's gonna stop him. And his son Sharif also has ability. Not to mention he's bigger than the other kids, but he's also older than them. So he's also gotten a lot more experience. Because I want to say he's in college right now. I think it's his sophomore year at LSU. Yeah, he's yeah. Yeah. So. If we were talking 20 years ago, but keep Sharif like where he is now, yeah, okay. But other than that, nah, I would probably go LeBron and Bronny. All right, so speaking of the Lakers and Bron Bron, Jalen Rose had some glowing remarks about Rob Palenka and how the Lakers are building that organization and said, Rob Palenka is running laps around the rest of the league. The Lakers are the clear-cut best team in basketball. Um, if they stay healthy, LeBron is getting another ring this year. Believable or buffoonery, the Lakers have the best roster in the NBA. No, that goes to the Brooklyn Knicks. Agreed. Simply because I think that all the pieces in Brooklyn fit. Um, as far as Los Angeles goes, I think Russell creates a very interesting variable that he's not created in Brooklyn. And also just the aspect of the guys in Brooklyn, they're familiar with each other now. The dudes in LA, this is their first year playing together. So like you can say on paper they have a great team, but we all know how great teams on paper don't translate the great teams on the court. Yeah. I'm calling buffoonery on that too. I mean, for pretty much everything you just said, like, while if we're talking name value, yeah, sure, the Lakers overall have a solid group, but realistically, I think that it's the Nets, and I don't necessarily think it's particularly close, but that's just me. And that's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, please be sure to check out TheExtraPort.net. I repeat, TheExtraPort.net for exclusive sports content written by yours truly, you know, fellow pro fellow export writers. Previous episodes of our lovely podcast, our YouTube channel, entitled The X Report. Um, all I got to say before we close this bad boy out is check out our fantasy football uh, guide. I know that some people have already um, drafted their teams, and there are other people like me who keep drafting up until the final buzzer. Um, also, go Tigers go for my Memphis Tigers. And, of course, go Tigers for my LSU Tigers. And, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah, all I got is no Tigers go. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.